Located on a 50-acre campus just south of Boston, Lovell Academy is a boarding school specifically designed to train and educate elite student-athletes. Lovell Hockey's high level of expertise in player development and advocacy complements a challenging in-person academic program. The daily schedule maximizes opportunities for academic, athletic, and personal growth through block class periods, training sessions, and social activities in brand new state-of-the-art arena and academy facilities. Academics and hockey work together, encouraging student-athletes to transfer competencies and successes between the ice and the classroom. At Lovell Academy, your future starts with us. To learn more and take a virtual tour, visit lovellacademy.org. That's L-O-V-E-L-L for lovellacademy.org. Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. The podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky. Glad to be joining you from our studio in Milton. And in studio with me today is my guest host, Matt Cater. Good to see you, Matt. Good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And uh, we have a special guest today coming to us via Zoom, and that is uh, Central Scouting Senior Director uh, David Gregory. Um, wow. I mean, a great great guest to have as the NHL draft is approaching, and, and uh, your organization uh, just put out your the final uh, rankings not too long ago. So, David, thank you so much for joining us and, and being willing to talk about Central scouting and in, in the draft and, and what it is you guys do to shine a light in the public space on these uh, future NHL players. Well, thanks so much for having me. Great, great to be here and uh, been doing this for a while. And it's, uh, it's, it's obviously a great thing that you guys are doing to, uh, to talk about these guys. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, before we get into your personal background, I'm just kind of curious about 2022 draft is, is coming up hot. It's in uh, Montreal for the first time in time in several years uh, because of the pandemic. They've been uh, virtual the last few, few years that we've had these. So just uh, how does the draft overall in your mind compare to, to, to recent ones? And, and uh, how excited are you that, that uh, these players are going to get a chance to maybe get back to normalcy and walk up on stage? and uh, be recognized for what they've accomplished to date? Well, you know, it, it, it is great. And Matt knows that representing players, how important a day that is for these young players. And it, it's exciting for them to be there with their families and have that rush of adrenaline when they hear their name called. So it, there was probably a similar rush with families around them in a, in a virtual draft, but there's nothing like uh, being there and the excitement and it, it's it's quite a great energy so we're really happy as an organization to have that back to what it should be and uh, and certainly for the area in in the northeast here the 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 depth of the draft is is probably uh, one of the best we've had in a long time there's a lot of really good players that I, I think are going to hear their names called in the the couple of days that we're we're going through the draft coming up in July here what uh what local player sticks out for you um in terms of uh, uh as a prospect for this year's draft i like at nobles mcdonald i i just think that he's he's a player that just checks all the boxes the more you watch him the more you see him 
he to me is a guy that is uh, like in our in our business we say is this guy going to play? This guy is definitely going to play because uh, he's just uh, a complete player. He's got hockey that, sense. That's ben, yeah, that's Ben McDonald, uh, yeah, yeah. whose father is Lane McDonald, who played at Harvard right. years ago. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I should. I, it's funny. Like uh, we we always use last names when we talk. I I gotta I gotta remember here. I should say say their full name, but. Uh, yeah, Ben, Ben, Ben to me was, uh, uh, just a pleasure to watch his development during the course of the season. And for me, he's the top guy in the area and, and it could be different with, uh, other evaluators. That's for sure. Well, I'm, I am going to bring up another player uh, with a famous father and that is, uh, Jack Hughes, son of Montreal GM, Kent Hughes, uh, who was a freshman at, uh, Northeastern this season and came out of the national team development program as a late Oh three, he had to wait. Um, but, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on Jack Hughes? I know he was uh 26th in your final, uh, central scouting rankings this year. And, uh, I thought he was, had a pretty good, uh, pretty good freshman year as one of the, or the youngest, uh, true freshman in college hockey. Yeah, what 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 Jack accomplished uh, as a, a young player in college hockey was really tremendous. It's it's funny. I, I mentioned Ben McDonald, not even thinking of Jack because I have Jack in a different class because he's playing college hockey, not prep school hockey or or uh, junior hockey. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, Jack was the highest ranked player in the Northeast for us on our list, and that was a consensus thing of of all of our scouts. We uh, we have a system where we cross over with more scouts than probably any other scouting service in the world. And um, Jack is a player that we've known for a number of years as an underage player playing in prep school and then going to the development program. Um, he, he's just uh, the consummate player. Um, he knows the game inside and out to step in and play top line minutes on a big time program that Northeastern is. Um, he's been, he's been, definitely solidified his his uh his chances of being a first round draft pick that's for sure there are a couple of other kids who have left the area and gone out to the ushl um two of them come to mind one is ryan healy and the other is cam lund uh were you able to see those players much out west this this uh season yes saw them another number of times and and you know matt and you guys are aware that to go to that league is very very difficult to jump from high school or prep school even junior in the East to, to that league. It's, it's a well coached league where coaches are, are, are trying to win games. So they put players in roles. So a young guy going into a team over there is, is has to really earn his space. And those two guys uh, to step in and play the minutes they did and have the impact they have has been great. So Ryan Healy is the kind of player that NHL teams look for. Now he's, he's going to be able to jump into a college program and develop into uh, an NHL player where he just has the the skill and the sense to, to have an impact. And, and Cam Lund, uh, you know, from, he's the kind of player you see in any game and you realize this is one of the best players on the ice because he plays with pace. He's dynamic. He thinks the game's well, he can create opportunities for himself and his teammates and, both those guys had a big impact on the teams that they played for this year, for and, sure. And they both they both overcame adversity uh, because there is a big jump coming from prep school to the USHL. It's less of a jump from the USHL to college. Um, yes. 
you know, than it is. So, and those two both fought through um, Jackson Dorrington, another one, be able to fight through the adversity and, and make their mark in that league. Um, what are their prep school kids? Uh, I think there's a couple Fishers, a Callow. Uh, what yeah. other prep school kids do you have in mind? Yeah, well, well uh, Mike, Michael Fisher was uh, a player that was on the radar from the get-go just because of a player of that size and his skating ability and his his uh, his skills to have an impact on a game are are, are so high-end. You know, he he can dictate the pace of the game. And um, the thing of, the thing about Michael this year was uh, I, I remember early in the season he had tons of assists and not a lot of goals. And, uh, you know, we're in the ranks. You know this, Matt. People are asking, well, does he score more goals? Like people ask these kind of questions and then, all of a sudden you fast forward a few games and he's, he's got 10, 15 goals, whatever it is. Like he just has all the tools. And uh, I, I think he's going to be someone that you hear his name called early in the draft. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those, one of those things where, and this is what I tell people all the time in my role is that the kids that, that make the decision to stay in school, prep school, high school, whatever it is, it's like, why didn't they go? Why didn't they go play junior in the USHL? Why didn't they do this? Well, they're making the decision which best for themselves and us as evaluators. Uh, just because they they decided to stay in school doesn't mean they they're not going to turn into what you think they're going to be. And it's a little bit harder because, hey, you have to project them a little bit differently. Like like you have to have the ability to say what's this player going to become. So I really respect the kids that stay in school and decide on that path and make us scouts work a little bit harder to say, Oh, this is what this player is going to be. Um, but a guy like uh, Michael Fisher doesn't make it that hard because of the skill that he possesses for sure. And everyone's journey is different. Everyone has a different pathway. Um, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, uh, this is a journey, not a race. And, and wouldn't you agree, Kurt? Yeah, 100%. And speaking of journeys, uh, you've had a, you've had a pretty interesting journey yourself. I mean, you've been a long time scout. And you had a pretty darn good mentor in, in Jim Gregory. Uh, why, why don't we just kind of go back to the beginning and, and talk about uh, your, how you got into this and um, you know, what, your, what kind of influence your dad had on, on, on developing you and in, in, in your ability to, to follow in the, in, the, in the family business, so to speak. Yeah, I guess that's the perfect way to put it as a family business. Um, you know, my dad... Uh, grew up in the game. And then, so, you know, I, I followed that path in a sense, like being around him and seeing and being exposed to everything that he has done has uh, developed me as a hockey person. Um, you know, my, I, I sort of went the different after playing college hockey. I, I, I went into the business world for a little while and, you know, um, it got real tough to say, I really liked this job. And I kept thinking about working in hockey and eventually came back to uh, working in the game and it's been, you know, what I've done for, you know, over 25 years, but um, my dad's journey in the game, you know, he's a hockey hall of famer and I believe for all the right reasons, he put the game first. He loved the game. He put a lot of people first. He, if I, if I had a dollar for every time your dad helped me, your dad did this for me, you know, I, I wouldn't even have to work. He, he was that kind of person. 
He really was. When I started scouting at age 23 in this area, he's one of the first guys I met, and he was great in terms of, of taking care of people. I've noticed that you're the same way now, obviously, and you, you followed along. You've also worked with E.J. McGuire. Um, how did he impact your growth uh, in the game, and also how did he change uh, central scouting when he was uh, in charge of it? Well, E.J.'s... Uh one of the most influential guys in, in, in my life and, and with um, my career. Um, I first met EJ when he recruited me to play for him at Brockport State way back when, and our lives sort of crisscrossed for a number of years. I, I worked in the American Hockey League, and so did he. Um, when I was in Syracuse, he was scouting and was at the rink all the time. We talked when I was in uh, New Haven in the American hockey league, he was the coach in Hartford and we were rivals and we were, to, we were crossing paths all the time. And he was the one that actually asked me to join central scouting. Um, I happened to, my dad was, uh, you know, senior vice president of the NHL and, and getting EJ to take over central scouting service. And he said, I, he, he was going to meet EJ in Philadelphia and we all went to a game together and, and EJ and I sat together at the game. He said, if I take this job, you, would you ever come on board or whatever? And, and that's, in a sense, how I, I, I became a, a scout for Central Scouting because EJ wanted me there. Um, and what EJ did was he had an unbelievable philosophy of it, getting everybody to use their best skills for purpose of the entire group to make it better and he made you feel the most important guy in the group whether there was 10 of us or two of us when you were talking to ej you were always the most important guy in the group and he got the best out of people um he was um really really good at advancing the central scouting into in the sense the new millennium where using more data using more video all the things that uh, can make us uh, a better service in evaluating people, advancing the crossover scouting. And, you know, we, I think we turned into a better, uh, a better scouting service because of him for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I think he, he also took care of the promotion, the social media aspect of it and just getting it more in the public conscience. No question. And it used to be that uh, back in the nineties, they didn't release the list. You yeah. know, they, they wouldn't allow that. Uh, yeah. everything was top secret and people would have to find out there was no social media and EJ, I remember talking to him about it, uh, was the first one to say, Hey, we need to release these lists. It gets out anyway. Uh, we got to release <laughs> yeah. it. So he did help modernize for sure. And he, he, he brought, um, it, it started with NHL.com and, uh, NHL TV. He brought them right in. They sit in our meetings and they see what happens sort of let the public know this is how it all works. And, uh, like you said, Matt, it, the, the the list got out somehow. The list got out, and uh, so why don't we put it out first? So I'm interested in the impetus of the formation of of Central Scout. I mean, it's, it has evolved over the years, but I think a lot of people probably don't realize how long Central Scouting's been involved. As I understand, it's been around since the mid '70s. And uh, what was? I mean, are you familiar with the decision process to to start it up, and 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 how has it? played such an important role in promoting uh, the game and the draft as an, an integral process to the league? Well, that, that, that's a great question. And I, I'm actually pretty close to why it started. My dad, uh, Sam Pollock, who my dad at the time was GM in the Maple Leaf. 
Sam Pollock, GM of um, Montreal Canadiens. And uh, I think it was four other GMs brought to the league at the time they were, they had just expanded to 12 teams and they, they realized that there, there was a, a need for what central scouting does. And what central scouting is, is and a lot of times it's an advance scouting service. They put the names out of every year of the kids will be scouting in the following season. Um, they verify heights and weights of players. All these things were being done by every team. And you go to 12 teams now, a young player that's a prep school s- student and a hockey player in the Northeast is going to be, there's going to be 12 teams that want to want to meet with him, want to weigh and measure him, want to uh, watch him play. And what the, the, what my dad and these other GMs did was say, listen, every team is going to contribute the cost of one scout. And we're going to create a service that's going to do a lot of the things that every team is doing. So these young players don't have to go through it. It's not fair to them. It doesn't, it, it hurt their development in a year. That's one of the most important in their lives. And they, they developed central scouting and that's how it started back in the seventies. So essentially uh, for the listeners, central scouting is uh, run and obviously owned by the NHL and they yes. basically work for the teams. Central scouting doesn't pick players. It's more of a guidepost uh, for uh, teams so that they know where, where, the, where the hidden gems are, where to go. Um, wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, way to, great way to put it. Like We have no bias. We're not picking for need. A team could be drafting 10th overall and need a puck-moving defenseman, and there may be a forward there that we have ranked higher. Most people say this is the best player available. Some teams will pick the best player available. Some will pick for need. But what Central Scouting does is both in Europe and in North America, we rank players based on who we think are the best at that time. And we give that information to the teams. It wasn't meant to be public. It wasn't meant to make a statement that this player is better than the other. But this is how we've ranked these players. And here's information for you to help make the decision on the player you want to draft. We have the luxury of not having to draft someone and having our job on the line because we picked the wrong player. But we also have the curse of everybody knows what our list is. And like they can say, to you, hey, how stupid were you when you put this guy? And then I can say, well, how smart were we when we picked this guy? So yeah, so, so, both ways. so basically you guys come out with three lists. You have a goalie list, you have a yes. European list and skaters, and you have uh, North American skaters. So yeah. you have those and, and, and North American and, and uh, European goalies as yeah, well. Four four lists. Lists. Four yeah. 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 So yeah. when, when people see a guy ranked 20th in North American skaters, that doesn't include any goalies and it doesn't include, you know, uh, Europeans. Europeans. So it's Correct. a totally different uh, list. So people have to kind of read that correctly uh, in terms of, of where you do it. What the staff itself, like what's it made up of? How many scouts are there? Um, you know, how, how do, how do you structure your staff? Well, in, in North America, we have nine full-time scouts that are scattered throughout both Canada and the U S and we, we sort of have regions where early in the season, we make sure you're in your own region for myself. It's the Northeast. And, um, my job is to know who, who's, the, the players we need to monitor in the Northeast. Um, and as the season progresses, the rest of those scouts, those full-time scouts will, what 
will cross over, as we call it, into my region, or I will cross over into their region and and evaluate players. So we have nine guys that will see just about every player, um, you know, barring injury, whatever else. There's always something that pops up where you may not see as much of one player. But for the most part, you're going to see every player in the Northeast two, three, four times a year. Um, and in your own region up to, you know, 10 times, 10 times a year or more. And that's how we understand the players in, across the entire country and put an evaluation list together. So you guys start out with your watch list where you're grading them A, B, C, which is a pretty rough rudimentary, but that's really designed to kind of kick it into gear. And then you've got your preliminary, you've got your midseason and your final rankings. What is the process that go, that go, that that you guys, and I mean, there may not be some things you can share, but in a broad concept, like how do you guys do it in terms of getting that very first watch list together to the very end when you've just now released your final ranking um, of, of, of the players on those four lists that you talked about earlier? You know, it, it's, it's really a unique process and something that I think the teams that use our our service the most um can gain a a distinct advantage because we have that getting back to that crossover scouting we have nine guys that have seen all these players we also have a a group of regional scouts that just stay in the area uh, uh, that they happen to be living in and be able to see teams so we have a number of viewings of these players that we can evaluate the first thing we do is we put them in an order for the area that we're in. So for example, in Canada, there's three major junior leagues in the, in the Canadian hockey league. So the Western hockey league, the Ontario hockey league, and the Quebec major junior hockey league, we create a list for each of those leagues. Then we have a list of other leagues in Canada that are tier two junior or high school. Then we have the Northeast of the United States, where we create a list that includes the prep schools. If there happens to be players in college that are based in the the eastern side of the United States. Then we have the western side of the United States um, that um, we create a list for as well. So we have six different lists that we bring into, and then we vote those players against each other to create a major list. So it's it's quite a unique process that nine full-time scouts and 15 to 20 regional scouts have lists. We bring them into one area one list and uh, we vote them against each other and create one list. And once that list is created, we still discuss, should this player be ahead of that player? It's, you know, all the way through seven rounds of players, we, we really work hard to make sure that we discuss every position. And and I think uh, listeners need to realize that scouting is an inexact science. Like you're not always going to get it right or wrong. Um, You know, how influenced are, your scouts uh, on outside opinions? Like, do they have much interaction with players, coaches, managers, evil agents? You know, like <laughs> how much? How, watch those evil yeah, agents. How, how much, yeah. uh, how, how much are you guys influenced by it? Others? Well, I, I, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, you know, our relationship, Matt, has developed over the years and I rely heavily on you to say to me, here's a player you have to look at. That doesn't mean I'm going to have the same opinion of that player as you, but you saying to me, you have to look at this player. And I, and hopefully it goes vice versa. Here's what I thought of this player. 
compared to another that helps you make decisions on what you do in your career. But, you know, um, it's a competitive business. It's a big money business, the hockey world. But at the same time, hockey people are some of the best people you're ever going to meet in the world. And everybody wants, when it comes down to it, is for the best players and young players to develop the best they can. And like you said, it's, it's an inexact science. There's 32 teams picking in the first round. And five years from now, after July 7th, we're going to say, you know what? Half of those players didn't turn out into be first rounders. That's just the math. And there's going to be someone who was picked in the seventh round that turns out to be a player that's having an impact in the NHL. That's just Hendri- the way it Hendrick, is. Hendrick Lundquist, I think, was a seventh round pick. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, those goalies are harder to, to harder to pay. <laughs> 18. Uh, so I'm interested in the kind of attributes. So when David, when you're, when you're formulating your list and, and the guys that are coming out at the top of the packing order consistently, you know, from year to year, what are the attributes that you as, as central scouting staff are, are gravitating toward that, that consistently raise them to the higher echelon? Well, uh, great question because when you when you start in this business and you start to evaluate, you have to look at certain attributes, and some of them over the years have become, in a sense, more important as the game has developed. But we uh, we certainly looked at um, skating, hockey sense, and competitiveness are probably the top three categories that we look at that are going to s- say this player is going to be able to have an impact at the NHL level or the pro game, or if you're evaluating a high school player they're going to advance to the next level because they have strengths in those areas. And we, we have a hundred point checklist that we have six or seven categories with subcategories. And we, we rank all of those things for every player that's in the draft and provide that information to the teams. But those three categories are probably the ones that have the most influence. And, and it's really evolved from uh, early late eighties, early nineties. Uh, when I met your father, to now where it used to be the default was size, 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 size. When in doubt, let's bring in yeah. Jeff, Jeff Bukaboom instead of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Matt Grizzlick. Uh, yeah, but but exactly. it, it's, it's really changed uh, over the years, wouldn't you say, in terms, especially in the last uh, five to ten years? No question. And, um, and I think it's been a great development for the game because the game is exciting when, when skill – trumps size or physicality physicality is important i love the fact that the game has a physical element but size isn't the only way you can be physical look at a guy like martin saloui and the career he had because he was physical even though he was super skilled new england hockey journals Rinkwise podcast will return after this message if you are an 07 to 11 hockey player looking to develop your skills this summer team one hockey is ready to assist you Team One Hockey registration is now open for their 10-week weekly skill sessions, which are underway now and end on August 4th. And coming June 17th to 19th is the annual three-day combine camp, which features on-ice training as well as off-ice testing and video analysis. Team One Hockey provides some of the highest levels of instruction and have special on-ice guests to provide perspective to the players and parents. There are a limited number of spots available, they sold out last year. Register today at TeamOneHockey.com. That's TeamOneHockey.com to register for their 10-week weekly skills sessions 
and three-day combine in June at Restuccia Arena in Wilmington, Mass. This fall, Quincy College in Quincy, Massachusetts drops the puck on its first ever hockey season in the City of Presidents, just 10 minutes from Boston. The Granite, as they're known, will play in the CHF Collegiate Hockey Federation against Babson, Mass Maritime, Nichols, Sacred Heart, and D3 programs at UNH and Farmingdale State in New York. The Quincy College Granite will be well coached. Kyle Robertson has been coaching regional junior teams for 20 years, and over 100 of his players have gone on to NCAA programs. Kyle's assistant is Matt Gibbs who's been coaching at North Quincy High for 12 years and won three titles there. Three years ago, he was the MIAA Coach of the Year. And as far as the educational part, Quincy College has a lot to offer. 37 different two-year degrees, and it's super affordable. There's even a new four-year business management degree that costs much less than other four-year schools. Want to make some history in a first-year hockey program? Now's your chance. Get more info at quincycollege.edu forward slash hockey. Listen, everyone, I want to let you know about a great team that is training the next generation of hockey players. It's Bando Performance. Their experts work with hockey players at all levels, from youngsters to Olympians, right on up to the pros. And I'm going to tell you how to get a great deal with them in just a sec. Bando Performance's small classes ensure the best odds for success for athletes looking to increase power and performance, as well as their nutrition and health. It has the same high-tech equipment you'll find in NHL weight rooms that hockey players use to increase their strength, speed, and power. I told you I could save you some money on this, so listen up. Go to bando-performance.com and pick a training program that's right for you. And this is the good part. For RinkWise listeners, use the discount code BANDO30OFF to get a 30% discount. That's bando-performance.com with the code BANDO30OFF and see your performance improve immediately. What, what advice can you give young players who are prospects? Um, you know, a, a lot of times kids get into their draft year and all of a sudden they like, wow, I got a showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see kids going end to end versus playing to your identity, play your game. You know, I, uh, what advice can you give young kids their draft year in terms of handling the pressure of being evaluated and, and everything? The interesting thing is that that draft year comes about and, and all this extra pressure comes onto these players. The reality is, is we've known you for two years before. You don't have to worry about your draft year. And like you said, Matt, play your game. Play the game that showcases who you are as a player, what you're going to be at the next level. There's There's a role for the super skilled guy that's going to quarterback the power play, but there's also a role for the guy that's going to be um, the player that instigates the, the pace of the play or four check or whatever. Play your game. We're going to see you enough times. Like you're not going to fool us by playing one way and think that's going to help you all. It's going to do is make, certain scouts question, well, why is he playing this way this time? When isn't this the player he is? I want to draft this player. So play the game and expect that someone's watching you every, every game that you're in and your draft year, for sure. There's somebody there watching you. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I'm a big believer and you got to be in the rinks and I know Matt will agree. That's how we connected is just being in the rinks, seeing the players live and, 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 and doing the networking. If you're a scout, you can learn so much by being physically present, but 
analytics is becoming there, and there are other tools, but analytics and in, in, in ways that you can quantitatively uh, supplement the subjective nature of the business of scouting, where you're, you're, you know, or, or for lack of a better term, the eye test, right? So, what are mm-hmm. what are some of the things that Central Scouting has done to add analytics and some quantitative measures into the process to help you guys make even more informed decisions as you're formulating your list? Well, it, it's it's like anything as things evolve, analytics has become a, a vital part of what we do on a game by game basis, and it it can do two things: it can reveal something you didn't see, but it also can verify what you did see. If you go one way too heavy or uh, one the other way too heavy, I think you leave yourself um, at a disadvantage. So um, we've added analytics to verify what we have these nine scouts that sit in a room for a week and a half to put a list together. Um, what are the analytics saying? And then let's have a check and balance because of that. And it's, it's kind of, I, I, I've used the analogy before. Like if you're making a cake and you put it all icing, it's not a good cake. If you have a cake, that's cake and icing um, you're going to end up with something that's, that's really good. So I think you have to use them both in the right proportions and make sure the eye tests verifies what analytics says and vice versa. And you can come up with a good list. I I totally agree with you. And the interesting part of the eye test is the character test. Like uh, people have to get to know the, know the person, uh, how he digs Mm -hmm. deep, how he handles adversity. And one of the things that you guys have really developed over the years uh, is the combine, you know, the Mm -hmm. NHL combine. Um, can you explain that process, how we, how that's evolved and, uh, clue our listeners into exactly what goes on there? Sure. Um, the, the combine has, has been around for since the seventies as well. Um, it's, it's basically an opportunity for teams to meet these players, interview them. They have, it's a week long process where we bring in, basically the top hundred to depending on this, the year to 120 players to one central location, the teams decide who they want there. They, they want to interview players. And then we also do off ice testing. Like we, we don't do any on ice testing. We've watched the players on the ice all year and the teams has voted repeatedly not to add on ice testing to the combine, even though it might be a good media opportunity. It doesn't, provide the teams what they want to do. They want to see what their conditioning is and how they look um, as a physical specimen. And whether it's a player that's not as developed physically as another, that doesn't deter the teams. They say, oh, this player can turn into this because he's still got a lot of development. But it also gives them that time to sit one-on-one. Um, some teams use a, a group of players in one room and and can really pressure uh, a young a young player to see how they respond to those kind of questions and others uh, make it a very friendly environment, but it gives them an opportunity to know the players individually. And you're making an investment in, in a young man to decide, is this going to be a player that has an impact on our team? You have to know what they are like off the ice as well to make the right decision. And it becomes like a job interview for, for kids almost in, in some ways, because uh, they are investing something in you, a draft pick. Um, would you agree with that? No, I, I mean, yeah, uh, you're exactly right. It is a job interview. It's uh, it's a chance for um, a general manager probably has never even seen this player play live because he's got a team to run during the season. He's counting on his scouts to say, um, 
Matt Cater is the guy we want to interview. Matt Cater is the guy we're thinking of drafting. (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's talk to him. And uh, that general manager will certainly have his own questions and, and, and have an opportunity to say, this is the player I liked better than the other, just based on how I saw them in the meeting. And it is, it is a job interview and it's a, it's a high paying job interview. So they're, they're going to certainly make sure they ask the right questions. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, the combine has grown, but there's a lot of really, really good players that don't go to the combine who end up getting drafted high. So again, it's an, it's an inexact science and you guys are providing just kind of that guidepost along the way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm curious, has there ever been any thought to maybe combining the North American and the European skater list so that they're all like together or is that just the way you guys do it? That's, that's the process you're comfortable with and, and, and there's no possibility for that to change. Well, it's, we, we test this, we ask these kind of questions uh, almost every season. Um, And it's a great question. And one of the things getting back to what our purpose is, our purpose, regardless of the fact that our lists are public is to provide the NHL clubs with as much valuable information as they can to help them make a decision on a player. For us to have a combined list that has the value of the separated list would require significant amount of time and effort for me to go to Europe and add all those players into my list. That means I don't see the North American players as much. I don't have the knowledge I have of those players. So we've made the decision to separate goalies, separate skaters and separate regions of the world to make sure the list that we give you is the best list possible. Now I've seen Jack Hughes 20 times. If you count up all, or I think we probably had 28 viewings of Jack Hughes in a college season based on our entire staff. If we had to go to Europe, that might be cut in half and we might have a different opinion of that player. So we give the teams the information they want and as much knowledge as possible, as opposed to a wider list with not as much knowledge. And we think we, we, uh, we give them an information that helps them make a decision. And that's what our purpose is. We don't care if our list is the different or the same as somebody else's. It's our list based on the information we have. And that's pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good rationale for it. Cause it really is about the viewings and, and maximizing. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And on that note, and, and, and the amount of miles and travel you do, like what are some of the, memorable stories that, that you have from, <laughs> from that. Just, I mean, I guess, I guess I would ask you from your first year to of doing this and then where you are now, I mean, I'm sure you just had so many experiences, but what are some of the things that stick out in your mind early on when you were still a relative novice to, you know, scouting in terms of being a central scouting, you know, scout and member of the staff? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Um, I wish I didn't talk as much in those early meetings. I kind of cringe at what I thought I knew. Um, it's it's amazing what experience gives you in any walk of life, but the more times you've gone through a season and seen players, you can compare one to another and um, certainly bringing it back to the, the area that we're talking about and these young players that are in prep school you really have to project them differently than the players that are playing major junior. They may be behind in their development curve, but they may be a way better player. And so one of the things that I've learned is that um, 
what I thought I knew early on was not nowhere near what I, I think I know now. And I, I'm still learning. It's never going to, it's never going to stop um, understanding players and understanding the game. But uh, um, one of the, one of the greatest things in watching, I've been and working with central scouting coming up on 20 years now um, and seen a lot of scouts come into our staff and leave our staff and the experience that these guys have brought to the table and the discussions and the heated battles and the, uh, you know, the yelling and screaming, believe it or not, about why this player is better than the other. And we're talking, we're in the sixth round and we're arguing one guy should be ahead of the other. That's the passion that our group has always brought. And it's been it's something I wish everybody could be a fly on the wall and watch how these meetings meetings go. Despite the technology we use to put a list together, um, the passionate discussions is what really makes the list. You have to have conviction. If you're scouting, you have to believe in your guy. You have to have reasons for why you like someone. You have to have conviction, conviction and passion for it. So um, I 100%. think that, that's conveyed by you. Right, and on that, you know, the the passionate side, are there any players from past years that you were particularly passionate about that you can look back on and say, yeah, you know what, that that passion was well-founded? It's a chance to toot your horn, Gregory, so. I'm sorry, David. I'll pick pick a couple players that uh, my my colleagues always uh, remind me of. I I, I, I got um, that I got... I don't know what, what's the right word to use, but I, I was called a bully in the media because Tage Thompson was in our first round. Mm-hmm. And um, I was passionate about Tage being a player that really grew a lot in the, in, in his, uh, the year before his draft, he'd be he, he six foot five or whatever he is, but he wasn't always a six foot five player. The first time I saw him, he was under six foot and skilled and, and, uh, as he grew, like uh, your body has to catch up to your, your skill level. And I was, uh, and he was injured in his draft year. And it was like, I was passionate that this guy is somebody you have to look at as a, as a first round player. And there, there was someone in the media in Canada who said that I bullied the staff to put him in the first round. He didn't belong in the first round. And it's kind of funny. It's like, there's, there's players that can go the opposite way, but it's like, it's not going to be that he's, where he ended up getting drafted in the first round and it takes some time to develop. And now he's turning into the player that I always thought he could be. Another one is uh, Neil Pionk, who is uh, uh, a Minnesota high school player um, that, that ended up being on our list three times, three times we had to put him on the list because I'm saying this guy's going to play. There's something at his compete level, his understanding of the game, he's going to play. And it, you know, it took him to be, you know, signed as a free agent, never drafted, even though central scouting put him on the list every year he was eligible to be drafted. And that those are a couple of players. I, I, uh, my, 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 uh, my colleagues always say to me, is this another peon? Dave, <laughs> like, why are you toting this guy's horn that much? So I'll, I'll, I'll hang my head on those two guys. Uh, for right those now. are, those are some good names for sure. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, so let's bring it back. I mean, people are listening. They're, they're curious about the 22, 20, 2022 draft this year. And we talked earlier about how deep New England is. And we, we had 
kind of mentioned, touched on them earlier, but there's a couple of players I think that could potentially be on, you know, undervalued, or at least they, they certainly have the attributes. I think that we, that you talked about earlier uh, to be pro players, to be productive pro players. And, and I'm curious as to what you think of, of James Fisher, uh, Belmont Hill winger and um, Michael Callow from St. Sebastian's. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk, let's talk about James Fisher. Um, and he, he was a player that earned his way onto uh, the list in the sense that he, he didn't have, and I, I want to put this the right way. He didn't have the, the profile. He wasn't as known as maybe some other players, but uh, people like Matt, people, others were saying, Hey, there's this, there's this guy, James Fisher. Do you know him or whatever? And I, I knew him a little bit and I'll be honest with you. I didn't know him as well as others in the area. So what do you do? You go watch him play. Like you guys talked about, you get the viewings, you see him in person and this is a guy that has an impact on every game that he plays. He has so many attributes that suggest he's going to play at the next level. He's going to continue to develop. He's strong. He can skate well. He possesses the puck, can get to scoring opportunities and shoot the puck. He's uh, he's somebody that it's going to be real interesting where he goes. There's, there's going to be teams that say, oh, I'd love to get him later in the draft. And there's other teams that are going to say, we're not waiting we have to get this guy now because he's going to play. Yeah. I think we have James ranked well where he's, where he's at, but I, I think he could go even higher than we've ranked him because of those attributes. Yeah. I think he's what 99, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, and that, 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 that's, that means we think he's, he's not getting through the first half of the draft. He's, he's, he's going to go sometime in the first half. And the other kid you mentioned, or Kurt mentioned, was Michael Callow, who's just kind of scratching the surface physically because everyone's journey's different. Uh, yeah. What have you noticed with him? Well, uh, right right away you notice uh, um, he, he could walk into an NHL game now and shoot the puck like just about anybody that uh, in the NHL. He's, he possesses that kind of skill with shooting the puck. He's a big guy that gets around better. Like he's sort of sneaky with how well he gets around. Um, it was, and here's another thing about seeing players in the right environment. He plays in high school and he can, he can dominate so well in high school. You see the amount of goals he scored at the high school level. It's part of, partly because of his shot. It's partly because of his under his hockey sense. But then you saw him play with the national development program against a, um, a college team and thrown in a role he was thrown on his off wing and had to play the off wing and possess the puck in the defensive zone and when he puts all that together he's a specimen that's uh got nhl written all over him i'm looking at the list i see michael callow at 131 at 132 uh aaron pionk out of uh hermantown <laughs> high minnesota wilderness just yeah. saying yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, what about the uh, twenty? What about the twenty twenty three draft around here? Um, you know, I, I think it's anticipated. We've got a couple of New England kids that are mass kids that are in uh, at the national program. Who are some of the kids for next year's draft? Well, um, I, I certainly think at Governor's Cam Russo is someone that you can't uh, not look at. This this is a guy that can score goals and having an impact as a young player already. Um, so he certainly won and a couple kids at governors or at Cushing. Um, uh, I, I hope I say it right. Landon Resendez and Ethan Gardula um, are two, are two players that uh, 
certainly are on our radar and we know about. And, and the way we do what we call these guys, we call them futures list players. It means who are we going to be looking at in the future? And the second half of the season, we spend a little bit more time looking at those players and making sure that we can identify to the NHL clubs. Here's the guys. We don't put an A, B or C on them or any kind of ranking. We just say, these are players that we want to let you know we're we're looking at for next year. Um, and it's 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 one of those things where you you always have guys that are you, you try to cast a wide net to make sure you don't miss anybody, but you always have players that come out of the woodwork that you didn't have an opportunity to see. Maybe you were watching you're, you're in a game where there's six or seven players that are this year's draft eligible and you have to pay attention to them and you, you don't pay as much attention as to the underage players. But um, we try to do that in the second half and make sure that we don't miss anybody, but we use the early parts of the, uh, of the, the next season to make sure that we, uh, we get these, these players right and who we want to watch. Well, um, I think Will Smith and Ryan Leonard are two big time prospects as well that are going to eventually make their way to Boston College. They're committed to to BC, and Greg Brown's probably excited about uh, about that. But uh, just yeah. some initial thoughts on on what they've been able to accomplish at the program. I think Ryan Leonard certainly opened some eyes at the the World Under 18s this past April. Right the the pace that that Ryan plays at, like he he's an elite player that. Um, is only getting better. And this is what's another really interesting thing about when you look at uh, a futures list or an underage player, we use that term as well. It means they're underage to be drafted that um, we identify those players and they're so young, they're still learning. They're playing at a higher level every season and to see how they develop. And Ryan Leonard has stepped up and, and been able to play at any level that he's, he's gone to. And, and I think a really exciting player to watch and, uh, and, and the same, the same with Will Smith, like he's uh, um, the kind of player that can score, can set up plays, thinks the game really well, um, creates chances both for himself and teammates. It's uh, um, two, two big time players that are going to, you know, certainly be um, high profile going into next season. Another kid locally, Will McDonough from Duxbury, uh, spent some time out in the USHL this season. Have you seen him? I, I only I only saw Will once, and that that's, again, part of the, uh, the last couple of years with travel being canceled because of, of COVID or whatever else. Uh, but certainly a player that's it's going to be – high profile for us next year as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. That's for sure. Yeah. I think 2023 is exciting between, you know, when you talk about Connor Bedard and Madve Michkov at the top of it. And then, you know, I'm just, you know, it's, it's just going to be an interesting draft year to see how everything shapes up based on, on, on what we saw this season. Yeah, no, no question. And, and, and Matt will tell you too, once, once a player is drafted in his business, you now focus, obviously Matt has to focus on, you know, their, their contracts and everything else, but you start to really focus on the next, the next kids. And it gets, uh, it gets exciting. You put the other kids in the back of your mind and 
the new uh, the new players in the front of your mind. So uh, as we as we wrap it up, and again, we really thank you for for being so generous with your time and your insights. I mean, you've really opened up the up the doors. But uh, are there some sleepers or some undervalued players in the in this particular draft class of twenty twenty two that in your mind you don't think get enough love and attention, and you would you would single out as as some guys that fans ought to keep an eye on? They would be really good assets for whoever drafts them. So I, I think someone that you could be a sleeper and could be someone that goes higher than even we have him ranked is, is Cam O'Neill at Mount St. Charles. He's a, a really skilled player that um, is always around the net, always creating chances. And, and uh, you know, his, his numbers speak for themselves. And granted, you, you look at, you don't, you don't know the opponents in every high school game, but he's scoring all the time. So he scores against everybody. So I, I think that's someone that's going to create a lot of interest because of those kind of uh, skill set. Well, I, I mean, he's something number 19. I saw him score a lot of goals uh, just on the PP at even strength. He's very good at finding quiet ice has a great release and a real nose for the net. So a uh, great choice. I, I like it. Uh, Cam O'Neill, people need to, you know, just keep him in the back of your mind. Uh, Cause he's, He's a player, and he helped that uh, team win a uh, national championship at the uh, USA Hockey Tier One. So, uh, well, David, this has been uh, this has been really terrific. We we appreciate your insights and and really letting us know the process. I think there's a, a lot of people know NHL Central scouting. I mean, Patrice Bergeron back in 2003 was 28th on your list, and ended up being a pretty good player. So. Uh, you guys have been tracking and charting these guys all through the years, and uh, you provide a valuable service. So I uh, really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you very much. Those are kind words. And uh, with the, on behalf of the staff that we have, really appreciate you uh, having me with you today. Well, it's a, it's a thankless job and a lot of uh, roads traveled and, and really appreciate everything. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks My so pleasure. much. Uh, until until next time, uh, for Matt Cater, this is Kirk Ludicky, and David Gregory, the Senior Director of Central Scouting. Uh, we will see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's Rink Wise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NEHockeyJournal on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.